Welcome to The God Solution, a place where we discuss solid evidence for the Christian faith and interviews with leading Christian apologists. Each week, you'll be encouraged in your faith and equipped to defend it and share it in your daily life. You can find out more about The God Solution at godsolutionshow.com. Now, here's your host, Nate Herbst. Welcome to The God Solution Show, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm in the studio today with Peter Benson of ABQ Connect. Thanks uh, for having me, Nate. we got an exciting event coming to Albuquerque, and that's why we're kind of tag-teaming here and bringing in uh, John Lennox with the Veritas Forum. Dr. John Lennox of Oxford University, world-renowned apologist, is coming here February 18th at 7 p.m. Woodward Hall at UNM, where he'll be dialoguing with Mark Boslow. Let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Lennox. Dr. John Lennox is professor of mathematics at the University of Oxford. He has four master's degrees, three doctorate degrees, including three master of arts degrees, a master of math degree, a doctor of science degree, a PhD, and a DPhil degree, which is Oxford's PhD. I think he's well qualified to uh, join us here on Thursday night, the 18th. <laughs> I think right? we'll I think we'll let him come on the show. <laughs> well, anyway, go to johnlennox.org, find out a little bit more about him. You could pick up some of his books. He's written numerous books, and I would encourage you to pick them all up. Those include God's Undertaker, A Science Buried God, God and Stephen Hawking, A Response to the Grand Design, Gunning for God, Seven Days That Divide the World, and his latest book, Against the Flow. He's debated some of the biggest atheists in the world, including Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens, and Peter Singer. I often wonder whether or not Dawkins quit debating after his debates with Dr. Lennox. I guess I may never know the answer to that question. But anyway, we're excited to have Dr. Lennox on the show. So without any further ado, let's get straight to the interview. Welcome to the God Solution Show, Dr. Lennox. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be with you. Let me tell you a little bit of how your book has impacted a life. There was a student that I was meeting with about a year and a half ago, and he said, I'm an atheist. And I asked him, how could you be an atheist? What, what motivates you towards atheism? And he said, it's the science. The science convinces me that God does not exist. So he and I began reading your book about uh, God's undertaker, Has Science Buried God, together a chapter a week and discussing it. By the end of the book, he said, I'm no longer an atheist, and I can't rationally maintain my atheism. Huh. And he's investigating Christ today. I'm sure he's just one of thousands of stories like him, so thank you for all you're doing. Well, I'm very encouraged to hear that, and I hear it all over the world, actually. It's often because young people simply haven't heard the evidence. They've heard powerful atheist voices, but they haven't heard an, a well-articulated Christian answer from a person who is himself engaged in science. So how did you come to faith in Jesus? Well, I originally come from Northern Ireland, C.S. Lewis country, and my parents were Christians, and so I had a living role model of Christianity in my home. They were very unusual people because Northern Ireland is quite famous for being sectarian. My parents were Christian without being sectarian, and secondly, they allowed me to think and they encouraged me to read other worldviews and so on. So I grew up in a home which was very lively, inquiring, interested. I saw living Christianity in my parents. So my first steps of commitment were made there. But of course, it's very important to add that faith in Christ is a living and dynamic thing. And as you grow older, you investigate 
the questions more and more, and so your faith deepens as you discover there are real answers in the Christian faith to the questions people ask. Sure. Hey, um, John, uh, this is Peter Benson. Uh, what can we learn about God from what we know about the universe? This has been your life study. You've poured yourself into bringing evidence to light. Uh, and just like Nate mentioned, uh, many have come to faith in Christ with that evidence and then discovering God for themselves, obviously. What what could we learn about God from the universe? Well, it's been part of my life study because I, I believe we've got more than one in source of information about God. There is the universe, and of course there is Scripture, and both of those sources are very important for me. But when it comes to the universe, the Bible itself points out that we can learn certain things about God, but it's limited. We can learn that there is a God, He's powerful, from the perspective, the simple perspective of the fact that the heavens declare the glory of God. But I think it goes a lot deeper than that, because as we study the universe in terms of science, we find that mathematics works, that we can represent the motions of the planets, say, in mathematical terms. And the really great scientists like Einstein and Wigner have wondered, how is that possible that mathematics actually works? Well, I believe the fact that science works, that mathematics works, is evidence that the universe is the product of a rational mind, that there's an intelligent creator behind it. So my first point would really be that the very fact we can do science is a pointer towards God. And the fact that it's describable in language is a very big pointer towards a God who's intelligent and who communicates. There's a lot more to it than that, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. In your book, God's Undertaker, you answer the question, has science buried God? So, has science buried God? Well, absolutely not. It's the exact opposite. You see, the claim of many vocal atheists, like Richard Dawkins and so on, is that science has got rid of the last trace of God. But, in fact, the opposite's true. It's very easy to forget that science rose in the 16th and 17th centuries with people like Galileo, Kepler, Newton, and so on, all of whom were believers in God. And so far from their faith in God hindering their science, it was actually the motor that drove it. And I think it was Sir Alfred North Whitehead who summarized it this way, at least C.S. Lewis summarized it brilliantly for him, Men became scientific. Why? Because they expected law and nature. And they expected law and nature because they believed in the lawgiver. Let me put that quite provocatively. I'm not remotely ashamed to be both a Christian and a scientist because, arguably, it was Christianity gave me my subject. Hmm. Now, there is a great attempt to demonstrate that science has buried God. But I feel it fails. Um, for many reasons. After all, science is limited in what it can do. It studies how nature works. And no amount of how studying nature works can eliminate a God who created nature. It's as if studying an automobile led people to deny the existence of Henry Ford. That would be rather silly. 
And I think that is often what people are doing. They find laws and mechanisms, and they think they give a total explanation, which is like saying that the law of internal combustion or automobile, automobile engineering gives you a total explanation of a motor car. It doesn't. It just gives you a partial explanation, a complete explanation. You need to bring Henry Ford in as well, who <laughs> had the idea and created it. Hey, John, um, uh, it is getting increasingly difficult for uh, those to debunk God's design, isn't it? Uh, you talk a little bit about the scopes, the limits of science, and what are some areas that you like to go into when you frame this? Well, the fact that science is limited is important because there are so many people who are so blinded by the success of science that they think that science is the only way to truth. Now, I am very impressed with science, but we don't do it any service, as the Nobel Prize winner Sir Peter Medawar pointed out, if we think it can answer every question. Einstein saw it couldn't. He said you could talk about the, um, <clears throat> the ethical foundations of science, but you can't talk about the scientific foundations of ethics. And Medawar pointed out that science is incapable of answering the simple questions of a child. Where do I come from? What is the meaning of life? And so on. Studying how things work and so on does not answer questions of meaning. And most scientists admit that their science is successful because it's limited in the questions it asks and the questions it answers. And it doesn't actually deal with the big things in life like meaning, like love, like beauty, and, and so on. Well, and, and the relationship between faith and reason as well. Could you break that down for Is that possible to have faith and reason? Oh, of course it is. Um, it's a wild confusion of the modern world that faith is believing where there's no evidence, and therefore you either go for faith or go for reason. The new atheists have redefined faith, and they think that it's a religious word, and it means... As Mark Twain put it, I think, believing what you know ain't true. But that's sheer nonsense. Faith is a word in English derived from Latin, fides, trust, loyalty. And we all know why we trust people. Our faith is evidence-based. And certainly a bank manager will want plenty of evidence if he's to trust us with a loan. We're all aware in ordinary life that trust in facts or trust between people if it's not evidence-based, then we are on very dangerous ground. And I like to put it this way, that trust in God, trust in Christ, is evidence-based. One of the clearest examples of that is the Gospel of John, for example. And he says that the reason he wrote the book is that Jesus did many other signs, says John, which are not written in this book. But these are written in order that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the mm. Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. In other words, here's the evidence on which faith is based. And if you read that gospel, and indeed the whole Bible, but John's gospel is full of Christ constantly reasoning with people. And when the New Testament apostles started proclaiming Christianity in the ancient world, Paul constantly went into synagogues and he reasoned in marketplaces because Christianity is a rational faith. After all, 
I'm at the University of Oxford. It's a Christian institution, as was my alma mater, Cambridge. In those early days, it was Christianity that founded the universities. Why? Because they believed that God was worthy of their mental effort, of their thinking, and so on. It's a tragedy that this idea, this split between faith and reason, which is driven by atheism, that did not come from Christianity. Once I was speaking with an atheist at Fort Lewis College, and this atheist professor told me, you Christians don't have any good evidence for faith in God. I think he was wrong. But then he went on to say, except for that one small issue of the beginning of the universe. And I laughed. I said, that's hardly a small issue. What does the beginning of the universe tell us about God's existence? Well, it raises the very, very important question. Um, why is the universe here at all? You see, for centuries, people believed the universe had always been there. And so you could get away with thinking, well, it's just a brute fact and so on. But, of course, cosmology has moved on, and now, the, by far and away, the consensus of opinion among astrophysicists is that there was a beginning. And, of course, that raises the question, well, what caused that? We ask that question automatically. What's behind that beginning? But the very fact of the beginning is very striking, because, of course, Aristotle did not believe in a beginning, and his thinking dominated European thought for centuries. But... The Bible, long before Aristotle, had been saying, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And there is a huge effort these days, and you'll see it reflected in the bookshops, titles like A Universe from Nothing. The big problem they face is, how do you get a universe from nothing if you don't believe in God? And I have given quite a bit of time to studying these books. And none of them managed to get a universe from nothing. You see, the Christian position is that the universe did not come from anything physical. It came from God, who is spirit. But if you remove him, then you've got a huge problem that people are desperate to solve in a naturalistic way. And the extremes to which they go and try to solve it is another indicator that there's more to this than meets the eye. And the the God hypothesis, so to speak, postulating God to account for it, is by far and away the most powerful explanation that there is. Hey, John, uh, talk a little bit about Christ. He, he is the creator. Right? By him were all things created. Let's talk about, uh, and this kind of goes back a little bit to, to before, uh, when you mentioned John uh, chapter 20, verse uh, 31. This is why these things were written that you would believe. Faith in Jesus, uh, is that rationally justified in that passage? And can you maybe expand a bit more on, uh, on faith in Christ? Well, if it weren't rationally justified, I would not be talking to you. <laughs> you see, there are reasons for believing in Jesus. His whole life, his death, and particularly his resurrection. The early apostles brought this message to the world that Jesus had risen from the dead. Now, that was checkable, and we can read so many examples of people who were not believers who decided, right, the best way to show that Christianity is false is to demonstrate that there's no evidence for the resurrection of Christ. Mm -hmm. And they studied the resurrection, 
and they come to believe, in spite of themselves, that actually the evidence is very strong. Now, it would take a long time to go into that evidence. I've actually written a book not long ago called Gunning for God, in response to the atheists who say there's no evidence. And the last two chapters of that are dealing with miracles and the supernatural, and in particular, the great miracle of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is the cornerstone of the Christian faith, because it demonstrates that he is who he is. But certainly there's rational justification all over the place. Otherwise, I would not be a Christian. Amen. So you've debated Dawkins, Hitchens, Singer, other atheists. I am curious whether Dawkins quit debating after he debated you a couple of times. But my question to you is, why are the new atheists missing the mark? Well, the new atheists, and you're right, I have debated them, and that has been a very interesting <laughs> experience. And what it has done for me is to... These people are coming along claiming that their worldview is true. They actually do believe in, believe in truth. They're not postmodern in that sense. They believe that atheism is true and Christianity is false and that there's no God. And they are purporting to give to people a worldview that has great explanatory power. And what I find is it has no such thing. And one of the main problems with atheism from my perspective is that it undermines science. You asked me earlier on, has science buried God? My answer is no, but I would like to suggest that actually science buries atheism. <laughs> and the reason is this, that, you know, if the atheist view is true, then I do science with my mind, although they do not often believe in the mind. They just believe in the brain. It's purely physical. Well, let's allow that for a moment. If we ask what the brain is, many of them will say the brain's the end product of a mindless, unguided process. And I say to many scientists, look, you trust it. But if you thought that your computer was the end product of a mindless, unguided process, you wouldn't trust it for a moment. And the interesting thing about that is, C.S. Lewis saw this long ago. He said, any argument that invalidates reason cannot be true, because we use reason even to set up the argument. And Alvin Plantinga developed it, but the new element in it now is the debate set up by the atheist philosopher Thomas Nagel of New York, who's a, who's a brilliant man. And he points out that if we take the strictly materialistic point of view that reduces thought to um, physical processes, then we are actually destroying any grounds for trusting in reason at all. And that cannot be true. So one of my main reasons for rejecting atheism is not because I'm a Christian, although that gives me masses of reasons for doing so. It's because I'm a scientist. That's fascinating. When you come to Albuquerque here will be a Thursday night, February 18th, and it's a very intriguing question posed that you'll be, uh, that you'll be dialoguing in and uh, in this Veritas Forum. Does the world matter to God, and should the world matter to us? 
Yeah, it's a very intriguing question. I'm not sure what it means. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why we came to you. <laughs> it's a, well, the question was set to me, and it, it raises interesting things, because if you say, ask the question, does the world matter to God, that presumes you believe in God. Sure. First thing to establish, is there a God who created the world? And then the second thing would be, and if so, what is his relationship to the world? Does he care about it? Or does he not? Does it matter what we do to it? And of course, there's a whole tradition of thought that has misrepresented the biblical worldview and has said it's, it's the Bible that's at fault when people exploit the world's resources and destroy the animals and, uh, and, and, and destroy the earth. What they forget, actually, is that God expects us to care for his creation. There's this whole idea of the stewardship of creation. And actually, in the final book of the Bible, there's a very ominous statement um, where uh, John, who wrote the book of Revelation, says the time has come to destroy those that destroy the earth. So God actually does care for the earth. But I'm intrigued. I think it's going to be a very interesting discussion in that evening, and I'm looking forward to being in Albuquerque. <laughs> well, we're looking forward to having you in Albuquerque. A lot of people try to do good things without having a relationship with Jesus, and they seem to succeed in some areas. You might think about people working to stop sex trafficking, for example. In your opinion, what is the difference between the good things that are done by those who believe in God and the good things that are done by those who do not believe in God? What would you say to someone who says, I can be good and do good in the world without Jesus? Well, of course they can. <laughs> From a Christian perspective, you see, a Christian's not a person who claims to be better than other people. Let me put it this way. I believe that every person, whether they believe in God or not, is made in the image of God, and they're therefore moral beings. So non-Christian friends could put one to shame because they've got high moral standards. And, and of course, therefore, they can do good. And it's very sad indeed when Christians are put to shame by other mm -hmm. people. The strict answer to the question is people can do good. Now, when they say they can be good without Christ and without God, that raises much deeper questions. Mm -hmm. You see, if there is a God and he loves us and made us, then it's very curious thing to reject him and ignore him. I'm not sure that that can be described as good. So we've got to separate between the, the good things people do in life and applaud them, whoever does them, and wherever we see them. But there are deeper questions to be raised. Is there an ultimate goodness? What about morality? And, of course, the moment I consider my own so-called goodness, I discover I'm not so good as I thought. I don't even keep my own standards, mm -hmm. let alone God's standards. Now, if there is a God, that raises the deep question of, on what basis do I relate to God? And to simply go about life not realizing that there's a question here that needs to be answered. How can I come into a relationship with God? That's now a different level. Morality is one level. Relationship with God is another level. But the first question raises the second. Well, it's good. Uh, of course, a lot of folks would, would pour their good acts, their good deeds into the environment these days. Um, 
Uh, how would you say a Christian view to be different from a secular environmentalist view in in creation care? And 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 I heard you say earlier, uh, but yes, I, we do have a stewardship issue when it comes to God's earth. Um, how would our view as Christians be different from from the secular? Well, I think it, it, it comes at the level of motivation that in the way in which we care, we can express the deeper reasons why, and people can be led to ask why it is that we care, that there's a bigger world to be thought about, there's a bigger perspective. A secular environmentalist can do very good work on the environment, but it's limited to this world. But if there is another world, that's a very small thing, and although it's important in its own right, it's simply bypassing a much deeper question. Is there a bigger issue? And at the philosophical level, of course, I would be very interested in talking to people. Why do you care? Why is it you do this? What's the ultimate reason for that? And hope that by doing so, I could get into conversations about is there an ultimate reality or is this simply limited to this worldview? What certainly is a hot-button issue on campuses and uh, with all of us, really, is is this imperative to uh, to care for the planet. So it's going to be an interesting night. And again, uh, uh, you'll be talking about this on Thursday night, the 18th, 7 o'clock, Woodward Hall at UNM campus. And uh, Nate? I was just going to close by going back to the atheist professor that I mentioned previously. I didn't tell you the backstory, but this was someone that I actually went to school with. And when we were in college, he was a committed Christian, at least in word. And he claims that the evidence drove him away from faith in God. What would you say to someone just like him who's walked away from his faith and now embraces atheism because they believe that the evidence leads them away from God rather than toward God? What questions would you ask him? Well, I would want to listen to such a person and find out exactly what it is that they had problems with. Because my experience is that some of those questions are genuinely intellectual, but often they are, very sadly, negative experiences of professing Christians or the Church. And there are very, very deep hurts. I don't think there's any general answer to this. We have to take people and we have to listen very carefully and seriously to what they have to say. It is the fact, I can tell you, that uh, a friend of mine who organized the debates, Larry Taunton of FixPoint.org, he's done some very, very interesting research recently. And he wrote to the college leaders of atheist and humanist groups in colleges in the USA very recently. It was actually published in The Atlantic. It's a fascinating article. And he asked them to tell him their story. Without exception, the ones he interviewed said that they'd walked away because of a negative experience of professing Christians. Now, that is a wake-up call for mm-hmm. people to leave, lead consistently, live consistently with their faith. Well, Dr. Lennox, we are thrilled that you are on the show, and we can't wait to see you here on February 18th in Albuquerque. Look forward to it. Thank you very much. Thank thank you, John. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you later. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye.
Well, I hope you enjoyed the interview with Dr. John Lennox. What he said is really true. We can be confident that faith in Jesus Christ is rational. If you've never come to a point of putting your faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that each of us are faced with that question. The Bible says that God loves you dearly and that you were created for a relationship with him. The Bible also tells you that your sin and selfishness, just like mine, separates you and me from a perfect God. Left unmitigated, we would have nothing to look forward to but an eternity separated from him in what the Bible calls hell. Thankfully, the Bible says God became a man, Jesus, God in human flesh. He died the death that I deserved on the cross, paying for every sin that I've ever done so that I could have peace with God. The Bible says there's nothing that you could ever do to earn peace with God or to earn your way into heaven and that each one of us has to decide whether we will put our faith and trust in Jesus alone for our salvation. If you've never taken that step to decide to put your faith in Jesus Christ, I would encourage you to do that right now, not to wait another day. There's no magic to a simple prayer, but a prayer is a way that you can confess with your mouth that you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead and that you're trusting him as Savior and Lord. If you'd like to confess that with your mouth right now, say, Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are, that you died on the cross for my sins and rose again to give me new life. I ask you to come into my life to be my Savior and Lord. I put my faith and my trust in you. I hope you enjoyed the show. You can go to godsolutionshow.com to get this show and all of our past shows. And while you're there, feel free to leave us some comments, check out the list of local churches that you could visit, Go to johnlennox.org, find out a little bit more about him, pick up some of his books. Like I always say, an open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to Jesus. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you again next week. You've been listening to The God Solution with Nate Herbst. We hope that you were encouraged by what you heard today and are better equipped to share Christ this week. You can get the audio from today's broadcast and all the past God Solution shows at GodSolutionShow.com. Thanks for listening and being a part of the God Solution.